Hi, my name is Aviva Silverman, and I will be having a conversation with Iman Luquer for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It's February 17th, and it's being recorded in Queens. Hi. Hi, Viva. How are you? I'm so happy to see you and meet you. Oh, me too. I'm so excited. Thank you. Um, I was wondering if you could retell me as you were um, your name. My name is Iman Loker. Um, actually, my name is Cairo in French. My husband is French, so I wanted, he wanted something to please him sometimes because I, you know, he's we've been married for a, a while now and. And I called, I say I want to call myself Iman Cairo, because like I'm Egyptian. So I say, what are we going to say? Look here. I'm like, yeah, all right. So it's nice. But so many people cannot pronounce it right. So either I say, look there. That's what I say, look here. So Iman, look here. Yes. Hello. Thank you for explaining <laughs> You're that. welcome. <laughs> And you said you're from Egypt. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I born and raised in Egypt. Um, um, I moved here 2008 for political asylum due to persecution and, and gender violence in my country. Um, Egypt is a, it's a really old, ancient place full of history and it's beautiful um just me being there knowing who i am it was very hard because they don't they can't say they don't accept the transgender community or the lgbt community uh, so that was created so many problems so many um, sexual violence and um, violence and, and on a daily basis going to the school um, just like try to figure out your gender identity but me as a child I know exactly who I am because I know like it was growing up in Egypt my mom she was not that she was not education never went to school my father was like the, the person that he wanted his kids to go to school so they were at, we started going to Cairo because we are from Upper Egypt which is on the Nile and it's like more like farmers and it's like a village and most of my family they they are there and so we have lots of tradition lots of you know I can I can call it a toxic masculinity it's uh, in our family so as a feminine child, I didn't know, I didn't know, like I know that I was a woman, but I had this wrong genitalia, that what I was like, what's going on here? And my mom, she told me, my mom, she, when I was young and being that girly, they were happy with it. A child, they were dressing me up, they were happy with, in that moment, being uh, three years old, years old like dressing up and being that girly it's just like things start become ugly when I turn um, nine and nine years old and my father 
and my brothers and my cousin, they start like say, what's going on here? You know, but you all like the idea crying for mom, I want to be a girl, I want to, what can I do? And nobody is helping you. And of course, because of my femininity and living in a poor society that I was living in, of course, uh, I got raped. Um, violence, sexual violence against me as a child from member of my family, my cousin, and also neighbors. And it was just like a nightmare. And also you cannot tell anyone because when, when they find out right away, religion, you get beaten up more that you know it's not like you go tell your family oh my god that's happening to me every day and then they say oh we'll protect you no say it's your fault because you're acting feminine and i could not change that i could not like it was very like it was taking control over me being that girl and i could not have something else until i suffered a lot from you know violence so i start hiding my own sexuality hiding who i am try to be religious try to please my family and pray and and say i did a mistake and i am wrong and just to fo follow what they want so i don't have to get bashed or harassed because i was very tired from all of this the only the only way for me is to kind of hide my truth and follow what my family doing. I'll go to the mosque and pray and 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 just make them feel that I, I changed. Um, and I think that protected me a lot. And but I had a plan in my head. There was a time for me like um, being with my family, I was an artist all about drawing. You know, I was a wrong child. It feels like I was the wrong child in the wrong family. And I always question, who is this people? Because I was drawing, like doing acting. I wanted to sing, um, doing all of the stuff that my family hid. Completely the opposite because they told me, oh, this is wrong. This is again, it's the religion. And this is not going to get you any way. Um, and everything that were really putting me down. And I wanted to be the artist, but also I could not be the artist in, in my area, in my neighborhood, or I, will, I cannot be open up about this and because they don't understand. So I decided to go to the city, I escaped my family, after the death of my mom and my father when I was there. And um, I kind of, I don't, I don't want to sound horrible, but I felt released. I felt sort of like a freedom for me to, to escape. And they passed away around the same time? Or? One year different, yeah. They had um, a, a liver disease like a virus C, um, and I think it ruined the liver, and that's why um, people die in one year, and a difference in each other. 
And what jobs did they have in, in their town? My father he was uh, in the army and also was a trainer, team of Egypt of uh, Special Olympics. Yeah. And my mom, she was uh, home because we were like uh, six children. She have to take care of us. And my sister, they get married and they have children. and It's like crazy. Like you feel like drowning in your family. Like they're all around you. You cannot skip them. Um, yeah, so... The thing get worse when they start cover up. They start covering up their face, wearing the niqab and... Like they became more religious at a time. More religious, point. yes. What, what it started. Um, I think it's like what's happening in Egypt right now. People when they have lack of education or lack of money or being poor, sort of they feel that's the only way to to you know what I mean to to go to go to to be supported, mm-hmm. and you feel that. It's not only them because you feel like if you're like this and you have your hair on, but then most of your neighbors they are covered up, so you'll be always shamed of yourself, even as a girl or or you don't go to the mosque today. People say, "Why are you not praying?" You know that the harassment that we have to go to the mosque, we have to pray, and we have to ask for forgiveness. Because I'm especially me, because I've been raped, um, and uh, this has been like in deviance and a bad seed. And the only thing to re- to 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 get there uh, to please them is to please God and to follow them. And um, this created for me sort of this is not my family. I never felt. Like when I left them, I was not upset because the harassment and my brother, he was beating me up for no reason. And he blamed me for his friends saying, oh, your brother is a faggot. Uh, and he will come and just like drinking or something and he come and beat me up. Um, and I was so tired of it. And I have to like find a solution. But the only thing that I really helped me mentally was the dance. I found a, like a workshop. A friend of mine was is a gay. We were cruising. It's like you know underground cruising for gay people. In the town you grew up in, or yeah, there was one. I think that was, she was trans because you, you cannot be like, hey, what's your pronouns? We know that we're women, but we talk like women to each other and hiding so we meet in secret uh, maybe somebody's apartment we lock the doors we make sure nobody is coming because you can get harassed beaten by gangs or by the police so we always looking out of our shoulder um and um yeah, that was that was the the hardest part. But I met so many people, but they all have dreams and but it was not like obvious, like we cannot be to the word. So I met a guy, uh, a gay guy, and he was telling me, Oh my god, there's a workshop at the Carol Opera House, you should go and then I went and I met so many people, 
coach and uh, dance coach and I was like oh my god that's my place and actually that really healed me and makes me more into dancing I worked so hard at the Cairo House and I was with the, I went to a group I signed a contract I I earned money I was very happy and I was really killing myself to become that contemporary dancer and I, I did lots of shows and performances and also that gave me the opportunity to travel and to get a visa to the United States because as an artist and I have a job at the Cairo, it's a procedure job and a performer and um, I think when I had the application because I wanted to escape because of the persecution I get arrested too in Egypt by the police and also been molested by the police, been harassed, raped. Um, and what are the consequences for being gay in Egypt? It's hell. Yeah. It's hell. Yeah. I mean, it's hell because you're not really protected. Even you have to be, be very powerful from a rich family and power. Even that sometimes doesn't protect you because I know some people are. They have money and they have power, but also because they are gay, sometimes they get persecuted when the government want to use, because it's very shameful to, to I mean, some people say, I'd rather be arrested for murder or drugs related, but not because I'm gay, which is so crazy. Um, so, and also like, you don't trust also the gay people or the trans people around you because they, sometimes they could be working as informant, being pushed. I, when I was arrested, they pushed me. They want me to work for the police uh, as an informant. And so many people like that. When you're arrested, they push you. And all of that created in my head this is not a safe place, especially when I was dating that American guy. That, the, the the last five years before I come to America and I was hiding and then I find out the secret police knows everything about me sending a letter to the embassy to my ex telling him about us and about what we're doing it was so scary and he was telling me you should leave and um, and he helped me to get my visa with the Cairo Opera House. I didn't tell anybody I'm gonna escape. I just told them I'm going to for a workshop. And actually I applied for New York Film Academy for like a course for two months. I went and uh, I had like two months a place to stay. And how old were you? Like what era was this in? That was 2000 and uh, the, all of that happened to get the visa and everything. That was 2007 before I come here. Okay. So that 2008, I arrived to New York City. So with all that violence, I just want to escape. I don't care. But in my idea to like, as an asylum seeker, somebody endures so much torture and so much uh, trauma from my country, from the people over there. Uh, I came here and I faced another trauma you know, trauma of homelessness, where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, because I did not have uh, any money or anything. Uh, I find myself in the street, 
and I was self-harming myself by doing lots of drugs, by doing all of this, because I was easy catch to anyone like this, because I was vulnerable. I don't have a home. I don't have a place to stay. Wow. And what neighborhood were you hanging around? I was hanging around in uh, Christopher Street, um, usually like around New York. And I used to go out a lot because it was like going out at night life. And I did not have a basic protection where what next? I did not have any plans. I was leaving day by day trying to find a job in a restaurant I went to. I cleaned all these places. Um, I, I was working in a restaurant and I was just uh, cleaning the kitchen and have these jobs from here to there. But also I could not take it anymore. And I was very frustrated because I wanted to work as an artist. But then the immigration happens. And that takes lawyers, and I have to pay money, and I have to borrow money, and I have to sign papers. It was just a lot of com complication for people like me, and I'm not the only one. There's so many trans people are in the street right now wh while we're speaking because of the lack of the system. The system is very broken and doesn't protect um, trans asylum seekers or the LGBTQ uh, queer asylum seeker too um, and that create like we all hope like because I'm leaving Egypt with all that America I'm gonna live my life and I'm gonna have everything and I'm gonna get the help I need because what this is what the government always talk about that human rights we protect our people and and that's the the idea of America when out everywhere in Africa or in the Middle East, you hear that. But the actual problem when you arrive here, you don't know what to do. And the dangerous part is you fall into bad people. Like when you people can talk to you, you will believe them because you're vulnerable. What is your option? What, what is your chance? You end up with drug dealers. You end up selling your body. You end up doing stuff that you don't want to do it, but you do it anyway because it's the only option. And it was, I felt broken, but then the best thing about the candidate is so many beautiful people too that they can help you, but you need to know where is the resources. I mean, I'm glad that I met my husband. He had a store in Fat Island and he helped me, supported me to be on my feet. And how did you two meet? Okay, so I was having one of them, I had jobs everywhere. So I had um, a job at uh, David Barton in um, uh, Astrop Astro Place. Mm -hmm. Remember? I do uh, remember. Yeah. It was really beautiful. So I, I work at the reception, but I did not last for for a long time because they have a problem with my accent. I was just moving here. People complaining, so I don't understand that person. They have an accent. Um, so I lost my job. and um, But during that month, Jean came because we were giving one month gift cards. 
and he had that gift card. So he came one time, I was in the reception, and I found that guy came like, you have a beautiful smile. Um, and he wrote his number, he was very shy, and he just left me his number and, you know, and I was like homeless. I was from a couch to a couch. And then you meet somebody who's interested in you, um, and he seemed very nice and wonderful, but then, what I, you know, nobody want to hear like, hey, I'm homeless. <laughs> just like you try to date someone, and I did not say anything, but I met him, I called him actually like maybe a few months after. It was like after a long time. So he invited me to his apartment in, in Manhattan, and we talked and he told me about his project in Fan Island. And I never been there and I was really, I was very weak mentally and physically because the guy that I was staying with him, he was abusing me and he was doing drugs. So I want, he was abusing me sexually and pushing me to do drugs with him. So that was an open door for me to escape all of that and start a new life. And I'm glad that I did it. It, you know, uh, Fire Island opened my eyes. I had a beautiful community. People are supporting me there. Um, um, and my husband, he was being supportive. So I decided, like, everything went well after that. Yeah. What a blessing. Yes, a blessing. Because I felt, you know what? Because I felt I'm cursed. Like, you know, when you. Your family tell you you're wrong, you're cursed because of who you are. All your life, you as a child, you have that trauma always that you're less, that you're not good, you're you're an evil, you're all of that. And and then suddenly you come here when you're thinking, oh my God, everything is gonna turn out out to be beautiful and gorgeous, and suddenly, you know, That's it's going down, yeah. and you feel like, oh my God, my family are right. But then things change. And so you applied for, um, for um, can you t tell me a little more about the visa process and how you navigated it? Oh, uh, well, I applied, but they asked for so many documentation and I'm glad that I had uh, somebody to help me regarding a bank account. You have to show that you have money. You have to show that um, that you're working, which is I was. I was working at the Cairo House. I get to learn. Uh, it's lots of documents, and some people didn't. Sometimes, sometimes people didn't, they don't get it, and there is no basic asylum. I did not apply from Cairo when I applied for my visa. You cannot tell them, oh, I'm gonna go to America to apply for asylum, which is should be the norm if I'm in danger in my own country as a trans or a gay person. I should have an asylum from the embassy. But no, when they, if they find out that you're going to do an asylum, they will reject your visa, if you ever say to them. So um, I am glad that I get it. I was lucky. Because right. I get rejected from the French embassy. I get rejected from many embassies. And I was like surprised that I even get it. I could not believe it. I was like holding my passport, looking at the visa 24 hours, sleeping holding like hugging mm. my passport because I was scared like it was like a week of holding my passport because I want to get out and the moment I left I was at the 
that plane, I could not believe it. I broke crying and screaming. You know, lots of emotion, happiness, but also the trauma. And just finally, mm. I'm gonna leave all of that behind and I'm gonna start a new life. Wow. Yeah. And so, what other communities did you connect to once you kind of got more sturdy here? So I did not. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know where to go for a gay bar or anything. I didn't know where's the gays. I, I was like a crazy person walking, smiling to everyone. Maybe they will be gay. Maybe a lesbian. Maybe a transgender. They will come to me and say, "Hey, what are you doing?" or anything. I was just trying to to attract people to talk to them because I didn't know where to do. But luckily, in the hostel that I was staying in, in Brooklyn Heights, they have like a magazine, like an like a magazine, but I think it was gay magazine. Because they had, I think it was um, um, Next Magazine. It's like a publication. And I think somebody have it and it was on the table. So I'm, I'm like, it was the last months of my staying and I have to find out what I'm going to do. The whole idea I know about as asylum, but I didn't know where to go and who to contact and I didn't know. Um, so I looked at it and I found a bar called uh, Kitty Shack. So Where's I'm that? Like, it was in Brooklyn. So I was Brooklyn Heights. So I'm like, I'm gonna go to Kitty Shack. So I went there. I didn't know what is the bar about. But then I went and it was like lesbian, butch lesbians. And would be, this would become my family forever. Um, and they were like uh, strippers, and there was like a second floor, they do barbecue. It was like heaven, and I love margaritas, and they do the best margarita ever, so I was like, oh my God, that's my place. Um, and then I was, I was very shy, and I, like, it shows like I was vulnerable. And uh, a girl came to me and said, hey, it's my birthday, why are you sitting by yourself? Come and celebrate with us. And that girl, she saved my life. That girl, that, that girl, we start talking, she find out about me. She take me from the hostel. The, the last month she put me in her apartment. She introduced me to all her family. I felt they adopted me, like I'm their own uh, daughter. And they were so nice. And amazing. Even they they flew me to San Francisco to see. I mean, they were so generous, and I cannot believe it. I can I will never learn how to pay them. I'm always, I love them so much, and they're amazing people. But uh, uh, my friend Romy, she really gave me the key for my asylum because she introduced me to lawyer, and right away I went because you have to apply once you arrive in the first two months to be easier because if you waited a year, you know, it would be very difficult to get the asylum. So I got the asylum, Obama was elected, so the immigration it was, you know, everything was well. I went, I did my interview, two months, I got it indefinitely, I'm done, I was very happy. Now you cannot even get an asylum, you wait for five years or six years, I could not believe it. And and my relationship with Romy opened for me many doors, and she introduced me to people in nightlife, 
So I started really loving the nightlife and I started meeting people. You know, you do mistakes, you don't know everyone. And I was very open. And also because I was alone, open for everything, one and known. I like to learn and understand. Also, being a transgender woman, because I did not transition in Egypt, I transitioned here. That was the plan. Right away, do my asylum, find a doctor, I started doing my hormone. But that was crazy. Could not find an, an easy doctor. I started the beginning with an Egyptian trans woman here that we were taking black market hormones. And I was struggling with this too because I did not have, I didn't know who to reach. And you know, when you start people making fun of you, uh, laughing at you, even your gay friends, because you were gay, so you're beautiful men. Are you crazy? What are you doing to yourself? And some of my friends caught a relationship with me because of my choice to be trans, you know what I mean? And I felt alone when I had all these people around me, and suddenly, because of that decision that I take, people start, you know what I mean? Stay away from me, like I'm weird or I'm mentally ill. And also because they say, you're ruining you, you're a beautiful guy. I'm like, I have nothing to do with that guy. I, I know exactly what I want and I don't have time. You know what I mean? I already lost so many years of my life. with my family, being bashed and all of that things that happened to me in my, in my own country. I don't want to hear that here. I don't want to go through uh, experience with bad people. So I, I was struggling finding the right friends and the right people around me. And in that time, did you meet anyone that felt like a, a good guide or mentor or friend? Yeah, I find, you know, I find I, my husband is always amazing and he put me on the right tracks when I needed. Um, and I sometimes I fight with him because he's right. You know, you're like, you know, why he's always right. <laughs> and you feel like you want to, you want to feel like, you know, it's, my, it's me, it's me, it's not him. <laughs> um, him and other people, uh, I found, I was lucky to find so many of my friends that they want to help me. But also, like, I feel trans, every transgender is different of their need. But also, like, for, transgender people always being lonely because it's hard to have relationships especially with friends. Everybody's busy with their own. We're in New York City. I mean, it's, it's a busy city. It's very selfish somehow. And people uh, don't think about other people that much, you know? It, it gets sometimes lonely. Um, but, you know, if you have one person, good. You're very lucky. So okay. I am. I do have that person. So. Wow. And where else were you going out? We like to, um, in the project, understand where people's like social worlds were. Were there other bars or parties that you were going to at the time? Um, well, I went everywhere because I loved nightlife and I started working on nightlife and I started host party. I was hosting party with Frankie Sharp, 
uh, a gin hotel and was gay and um, I was always in Fire Island hosting all the parties, DJs, um, crazy party in Cherry Grove and in, in the Pines. Uh, I was the queen of the Pines and um, I had a really great time. I met so many really um, creative and amazing people um, creating this party and I felt freedom. I can express myself, I can perform and that gave me like loving the nightlife. Um, there was so many, because that was before COVID, you know, my, my priority shifted after COVID because I become more, uh, you know, I have my organization, I am an activist now more, but still nightlife for me was my sanctuary that, you know, to go to that is protected and you feel free, you could be topless, you can be whatever you want without anybody's gonna come and harass you. So Frankie Sharp, Daniel Nardiccio, um, you know, going to go rooms. This is a, a good place. Um, business city, you know, Ritz, I used to go to the Ritz. Uh, Paj, uh, Boots and Salad, a uh, Salad and Boots and Salad. Um, you know, I was going to all of these uh, clubs and bars. Have you noticed any change throughout all those years of this queer social life? I, I really, I feel they're more trans out now. I feel that the non-binary and trans, which is a, it's about time. I did not see, the, before the COVID, I really could not see. Now, I've seen a lot, like I've seen them everywhere and um, which makes me very happy because I didn't know where they were hiding. Uh, I feel because I used to say only gay men, gay men, gay men more. But then I see one trans here, one trans. But now I'm seeing like a lot. So this is good. Like we need to be more out and be proud of ourselves, you know? Right. And I want to ask you about your activism. Yes. Um, well, I found it uh, trans as serious, a 501c3 um, nonprofit organization dedicated to assisting transgender asylum seekers. Uh, for me, the asylum seeker, they face violence, uh, violence and uh, migration challenges. Uh, at a very high level. So we uh, provide logistic and we provide logistic and financial support to transgender asylum seeker from countries with the harshest penalties uh, against uh, trans people. So I use my own um, experiences uh, as an asylum seeker and what happened to me, all this experience, and I tailor it to the actual need of trans asylum seekers. And how did you get the project off the ground? Oh my God, it was a dream because um, after George Floyd, you know, I think everybody's, their life had changed, but also I was with um, the Black Trans Life uh, Matter movement. Um, and from there, I started helping transgender asylum seekers to escape their own country.
you know, like, you know, like talking about like few countries like Saudi Arabia, Yemen, uh, Egypt, Tunisia, Algeria, all of the country in the Middle East, like Swana uh, or the MENA region. Um, this is the people that I, I help a lot because they are vulnerable, they are beating, they are hiding, they are persecuted. How do they find you? On social media. Amazing. The first case I, I helped her name Rita, she's a Yemeni transgender woman. She's from Yemen. When she contacted me, I was already, you know, vocal and on social media about what I want to do. So I think that girl, she saw me and then she contacted me and uh, she sent me a, a crazy file from the government persecuting her for she shaved her eyebrows because she have an eyebrows, they stop her in the street, but then she, they, uh, they found in her phone, picture of her naked boyfriend's, you know, connection. So they arrested her and they, uh, 100 lashes. And then not only 100 lashes, they torture her, torture her life. The girl, she's not normal. She's going to need lots of therapy, lots of care, because what happened to her, it was, it's just unbelievable. And I it's just like, I've been tortured in Egypt, but that's a different torture. And also the, in, in, in Yemen is uh, controlled by, by the Houthi. And Houthi is like ISIS, Qaeda. So this is for them, they kill the people like this. So she contacted me, sent me the file, and I said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get her out. Everybody told me, how? This is middle of COVID, you're crazy. I say, I'm gonna get her out. And I'm, this is about me. When I put my, my mind to something, I say, I'm gonna do it. And um, I have a, I have, I'm a very motherly person. I'd like to take care of people. They, all of them call me mother. Um, and I, every day we were talking on the phone about solution. Luckily, I met somebody when I was 16 years old in Egypt. She was French, she was studying law, um, uh, law. she was studying law in Egypt, and she was young that time, and I was 16, and I was running away from the police in the street, and in her building, she saw me, and I'm running, screaming, the police running after me. She goes like, come, 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 come to my building. She like, waving to me. So I ran, that was the only safe place. From then we become very close. She protect me from the police. And then I find out later in life that uh, she, not only she become a lawyer, she become an asylum lawyer. So the how the connection is, I'm like, oh my God, let me call my friend. So I have all connection of people that I met through my life and you know, being in the care of the house, you meet French foreigners, you meet consulates, you, you, you're involved, like, you know, in that political um, uh, aspect. Um, so we find solution, and then she met the consulate uh, and take the file, and in one year we got her a humanitarian visa to France. Now she's living in France, and she has a good life, and and... What a beautiful thing about France, because people tell me, oh, why you don't bring them here to America? 
it's a mini okay so there is no base of America. many people doesn't know that because they think America is the best but actual there is no base for asylum you people comes here they don't know where to go and especially uh, transgender asylum seekers they need a special uh, help they're not like other regular people they're also coming from torture pain so many things that we need to think about it in france you don't stay in the street there's an organization waiting for you take you to the housing you're not in the street right away most of the cases that i worked and i saved from the middle east they have home more than i have and also not only they have home they were able to change their identity right away you don't have to go to the court or anything so the system so America say what we're we gonna do say already copy France or other European country they already have in that system um, so here there is a big problem with that so I don't bring people here to suffer I already suffered I want people to come here when I want uh, to when my organization get bigger and bigger I want to have a place for them. I want them to come and feel that they finally came to a place to, to, to let it go and be themselves and to heal. Because that takes a long time. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, when somebody uh, in America say, like, uh, I know some people say, my mom hate me when I was younger. And that affect that person forever. Imagine, you know what I mean? Imagine these people being stabbed, beaten, raped in daily basis. At least if they come here, just give them the care, mental care. Because if they come here, all of them, what happens? When I know some people here, asylum seekers, they end up dead because of the drugs because there is no care for them. And this is a fundamental thing, right. you know what I mean? Right. Um, it's so many things that need to be worked and I hope one day that we can be able to, to work in this kind of, to work with, with the government to find solution, to change the system. And also there is a difference between asylum because people say asylum. Asylum is people are persecuted, you know, persecuted because of their religion, because of who they are, not because their travel, because the economic uh, reason. That's not an asylum because they call, uh, people want to apply for asylum. No, but there is other people or transgender or gays or, or people, um, uh, my uh, religion minorities, um, they are persecuted that you give them an asylum that's the people they deserve an asylum you know what i mean not you don't mix the lgbtq people with the other ones you know because this cis men and cis women who are running from all of this they still cis men and cis women they can melt in but the transgender woman is invisible she's beating 24 hours she can know she doesn't know how to get out of her apartment like everybody else. 
So there's a big difference between uh, asylum and immigration. And people need to understand that. So I created my organization, Trans Asilius, because Asilius, the word Asilius, it comes from an ancient Greek word, which is a place as like a temple, like a sanctuary, mm -hmm. protected by any means, by anyone. Government cannot enter. Only the people, only the priests and the people like me, <laughs> and the people, um, uh, transgender people, uh, queer people, so they can sit together without feeling harm or worried that something bad is going to happen to them, or to them, and to feel secure and to share ideas and to love each other and and to I wanted to create that because I never had it, and I. Um, I want that, what I deserve that, instead of being all my life being told that I'm going to hell and I don't have a place in the society. And that was the idea. And I believed it because I was a sin. Well, what is the option when everybody's telling you around you that you're wrong and you're going to hell 24 hours? Um, so that created the urge for me, like what I'm doing. I was only about myself, I was happy. I had a home, I had a husband, I have friends in Fire Island, um, I have this, I have that, and I was like, but I never have a purpose. And also, I say, oh, people told me, why don't you move on? I mean, after everything that had happened, but okay, but also, I cannot forget about the people like me are trying to get, to, to make it, to breathe. And there are human beings, and I mean, America and the European international com community, they know, they support all these countries. They give them money, they give them for human rights, and, and where is that money going? It going to torture, well, come from your bucket. This is your tax, a taxpayer, right? Yeah. Come from gays, come from lesbians, come from everyone, strippers, whatever. You know what I mean? And the fact that um, the fact that they don't um, they don't pressure these countries to uh, to put protection for the LGBTQ people in Egypt or in Iraq or in Syria or all this country. But you're giving them money. You know what I mean? So I wish that that changed because the situation, okay, the situation is really bad, and um, it's been it's been really hard for me to um, to get my mind to it because people are getting killed and tortured just because who they are. They have nothing to do with anything, and also now all these Arabic countries, well. Uh, even in Egypt, when they say, oh, it's a Sharia Islamia, it's against God, against... But why, when it comes to Islam, when it comes to the law, for, for enforce the law, you only use that word, Islam, God, but it's not an Islamic uh, rule, it's not, uh, 
it's not a Sharia, uh, it's a French law that the Egyptians have, and many countries, they're not like Islamic countries, but only they use, they use religion when it's convenient to them. Okay, so I'm going to use the religion. But why don't you use it when you steal, so you should cut your hand too. Right. Um, it's very um, upsetting because our young, young, young trans, young gays, they are being tortured. Young. Um, and, and, and this is the crazy part. How do you take care of yourself when you're taking care of so many people that are going through this? Therapy. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I love therapy so much and, um, I, I urge everybody to, to be on therapy because it helped me to, to be, to understand what I'm doing because sometimes I was re, re traumatizing myself over and over and over again by taking cases, by reading the stories, by trying to help them. And also, they are needy. You're the only hope. So they don't have anything except calling you. You know, for my first case broke me. Yeah. I take a break after it, but but really broke me, but I did not was I was not on therapy and I was not, you know, taking care of my mental health and that really like pushed me to do all of this. Sometimes I think it's very important the work that I was doing in order for me to take care of myself. Because even when I was I was not doing therapy and not take care of my mental health mm -hmm. until I did that work. Wow. To see your story through other people maybe helped. Yeah. It's all similar. It's so weird that we're all similar. Like there is, my mom, she did this to me. My grandfather did this to me. Like you feel it's not what, it's completely the same. It's different stories, but it's the same what happens to all of us. It's exactly the same. And um, it's, uh, it's crazy how, how we, we, um, how we we resilient even as transgender people from the Middle East they're very resilient with everything that has been happening to them they make me proud also they give me that power and creativity like I have a daughter named Lila um, she's Egyptian she has her asylum now in France and she is a writer amazing writer I could not believe it so like what I'm saying there is so many people are, are transgender, are asylum seekers, are they can benefit and, and they are really great. They just want a chance in life, that's all. Totally, and also yeah. like other aspects of their identity to flourish, like being an artist. Yes, and explore themselves. You know, um, so many people identify now as non-binary in Egypt and in the Middle East. And so many people are, into that now because they feel there's something that present them present their identity there is a revolution that happened with you know with the transgender community and i'm glad and the non-binaries and and all of this gender and i'm happy that it's happening so many people say, oh my god i'm i'm confused you're confused you don't feel anything but these people are not confused because they know who they are 
And it's okay. Even they make a mistake now and say, oh, I'm not that person. It's okay too. But we cannot just go jumping on people because, you know, they, them, and who, and you know what I mean? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, this is. Do you have any relationship now to your biological family? Or are you kind of in this? Well, I mean, you know, uh, I choose. Okay, when I you choose that, you know that you're gonna lose your family. Well, either that or either your family. My right. family cannot look at me anymore. Uh, I they made a funeral. I'm dead. Yeah. And I was also wondering, because of how religious you were brought up, if you connect at all to a religious or spiritual background now. I, I love all the religions. I don't think God... Because human beings talk about God, is he punishable? And Islam is like this, or the Christian... I don't think God is like this, or whatever they say. It's the interpretive, the, the religion, the way they want it. I feel close to spiritual power, and every religion has her beauty, and I feel that. I love religion, and I, I don't mind their existing, because people say, oh, religion bring war. No, human beings bring wars. Right. Religion, the, the book never, itself doesn't bring war. I think people, and how you, um, how you interpret the religion, not to take it as something to, to hurt other people. That's the problem. Or to to or to to raise violence against community because you don't agree with them, you know what I mean? In so many religions, talks about you know, uh, not only the gays or the or the trans. None of the really religion have a, a, a clear message about queer people. You know what I mean? There is nothing that they really would say. Oh, you're, you're all cares. What does that mean, cursed? You know what I mean? Like, cursed. The God doesn't like you. Is it like God telling them, like he whispered to their ear and telling them, I hate gay people because they are horrible and they're going to jail. But let's do the creation. You torture us as children by the name of God. How is that possible? We're children. We didn't even know nothing. And we were like this. We, we were not. We were just like eight years old, and then, and you torture us with the name of the religion, and you feel that that's okay, you know. Um, so I always feel like I have a connection with high power, and I like that because I don't want to. I want. I want. I. I like uh, prayers and religion and all of the stuff. Do you like that? Um, okay, I have a few more questions for you if you're Okay, down. yes, of course. Um, yeah, let's see. I was wondering, um, yeah, now in this current iteration, what if you have any safety concerns living in the city? Um, of course. I'm always looking behind my shoulder because sometimes people like... Uh, um, try to talk to you, say, um, and sometimes I don't feel secure talking to someone. Uh, it's always, you know, especially subway, there's so many crimes. 
So you don't know the person, how he's going to interact. And so many people are drug addict and, and it's so many things. Um, and I don't feel safe hundred percent. So I always try to take care uh, of my surrounding and I look behind me and, you know. Yeah. And you were just updating me on your housing situation. Could you talk to me more about it? My housing situation, I was very lucky. I was applying for uh, uh, the New York City lottery because the rent, my rent was very expensive and and I'm like, this is it. And I need to apply. So my friend told me apply. I said, I'm not lucky. Why I will come to me and say apply. So I apply uh, for four years and then I won uh, an apartment at the Hudson Yard. And that was, that was my, the golden know, ticket. The yeah. golden ticket. You know, housing is a golden ticket in New York. Mm -hmm. And to have a cheap housing, everybody was like, are you crazy? What? Because my, my friends, they even pay 6000 in a smaller place than I'm in. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> it feels great. It, yeah. feels, it feels like a transgender asylum seekers. In, in America, which she should be. She's in an apartment, she's happy. I love that. They give amazing, the image itself, mm -hmm. so many transgender people in the Middle East give them up because they seem married, having a life, having an apartment, living in New York. That image itself, it makes people very like, wanna live. If she can do that, where she come from, I can do it too, and I can be happy, and I can transitioning, and I can be okay. Because I didn't transition when I, I'm not really like possible, like, um, you know, I'm happy with myself, with what I have, and I'm glad that I'm, I'm looking beautiful. Um, so give hope to other people that they say it's too late for me, um, you know, because like, oh, I'm not really, uh, possible like when you transition earlier age or that have nothing to do with anything so give people hope what i did with my life and especially trans people the most vulnerable people on earth that's how i feel um i was wondering if there's anything else you want to share for the record um i want to share something very important uh, one day when I did that work and I said, I'm going to save trans people from country with the harshest penalties. Um, and everybody that I interviewed like, oh, how could you do this? That's the work of the government. I say the government can do anything, but here I am. I did that and I saved nine people, actual nine people from Jamaica, from Saudi Arabia, from Yemen, from Egypt. These people have home, housing, and now they're working and they earn money. So that work could happen, you know what I mean? The government cannot do so much, you know what I mean? And they will say, oh, we do and we do. Yes, you do. But there is specific needs that people, and I like that when I create that organization, and I wish so many people to do that so we can work and help more transgender asylum seekers so they don't feel lost so they feel that they have family and they have people can talk to and resources that can help them they're so lucky i mean 
It's the most beautiful thing. Yeah, you should tell them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for speaking with me. Oh my god, you're welcome.